I want to start off this conversation by just welcoming the two of you. Uh, for everybody who doesn't know these two humans, we have Paul Field and Wendy Sullivan here, who are teaching in the field of clean language, but beyond the classic clean language where Wendy is one of the authors of this book, which is one of the main recommended books, probably not in German to everybody, but- I, I've, uh, I've got breaking news. It is the German book. In German. Yes. It's been published in the last week or two, literally. Yeah. And my copy just arrived a few days ago. Yes. So it is I, in I, German as well. Yeah, I've, it's also arrived for me about oh, one and a half it. weeks ago. And I am fascinated by reading it in, in my mother tongue beyond the English. Um, the two together have a training, have a deep foundation in clean language. But what fascinates me most and what actually kind of drew me to having this conversation is that it's beyond just traditional clean language and taking that into other fields and other applications. So from embodied, somatic, how to include the body more, but also towards more what I would personally call parts work, what they call persona modeling. So how to work with the different elements of personality. And I imagine the conversation will just take us wherever it takes us because it seems like there are many, many places where it could. But that's kind of the overall introduction. And I would actually love to just start with a, a short question, which is not very simple, but just to give people who maybe don't really know what clean language is a very, not doesn't have to be super short, but an overview of what is clean language, maybe what drew you to it so much so that uh, you wrote books about it and created trainings around it. And um, then from there seeing where are you taking clean language in your uh, newest endeavors? Mm. Shall I kick off? Paul? I think, yeah, you, you've got the earlier history than me. So. so what drew me to clean, I'll start there first, was I went to a conference presentation um, where um, we were given an activity to come up with a metaphor of our own that had some significance. Um, and um, Penny Tompkins and James Lawley, who were running the presentation, um, introduced us to basic clean language questions so we could facilitate each other. Anyway, I came up with a metaphor. <clears throat> There's a lighthouse. Um, I left the session, met my husband who'd been at another presentation at the conference, and I was just absolutely buzzing with this, um, this metaphor. I was telling him in this lighthouse, and, and he was just being funny, just having a joke. And he said to me, oh, you, you like a lighthouse, are you? Does that mean you can only concentrate on something for a few seconds before you move your focus to something else, the way that lighthouse um, lights often circulate? So he was just being funny. And I knew that. But what happened inside me was I wanted to wind my arm back and with every bit of strength in my body, hit him as hard as I could. And, you know, I, I was married to him for what, 30 years. I didn't ever at any other time have that impulse at all. Um, and for me, that was the real convincer that clean gets to places that nothing else that I'd done. And I'd done, you know, my fair share of other work and approaches and whatnot. 
um, it gets to a quality of information that's totally different from run-of-the-mill stuff. So that's, that's what drew me. Um, I'll say a tiny bit about what clean is and, and you then take over and add in all the stuff I didn't say, Paul? Maybe yeah? not all. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> So Clean Language was developed by um, David Grove, who was a counselling psychologist back in 1980s, 90s, around there. Um, he was working with people who'd suffered significant abuse. And he found that if he just um, uh, kept all his assumptions and ideas to himself um, and uh, didn't change any of the words that the client said, used their words, and um, stripped out um, any um, metaphors of his own, as well as any judgments and so on. And he, um, he could ask very simple questions that helped them to start healing from that abuse, which was exceptional, well, at any time, but back then, when most therapists were um, asking people to relive their, their experiences and re-traumatizing them in the way that they were working. Um, so clean is about um, getting out of your client's way, um, uh, truly and fully honoring what's important to that client and, um, and questioning them so that they can get to know, so they can self-model, get to know more about how they're doing things and what they might like to change. Okay, I'll stop. That's a very brief introduction. <laughs> so staying with the words, the metaphors of the client, asking them simple questions and getting out of their way. So what would you add to that, Paul? Yeah, um, so I think what it's really odd what attracted me. It's almost like clean had been attracting me in some way for a while by the time I went on Wendy's training. So I, I guess I, I'd been on, um, so if I retrospectively look back, I think I can, I can see why. Um, so I've been on a personal development journey for many years. And so, you know, as you, probably everyone does, you try different things and you find things that suit you or don't suit you. Um, and I'd, uh, I also sort of learned coaching because at the time I was in uh, like running teams so I'd, I had a how do I look after the people in my teams kind of reaction. So I started looking at coaching toolkits just to be a good manager um, to, you know, try and get the best at, help people find out what they were good at and, you know, enjoy work. Uh, and those two, I think, were sort of coming together. So I mainly was looking at uh, NLP as a, a style of, you know, learning how to coach. But I think I found it was very like lots of tools and quite a lot of doing things to people as well. Um, and clean had sort of been on my radar. Um, and I, I really can't say why, but something about it was really attracting me. So I went and did the training um, with Wendy, which was absolutely amazing. And I, it, it was like coming home. That was the feeling mm -hmm. for me. It's like, oh yeah, this, this is what I've been looking for. And I, I think that the, I probably couldn't have told you at the time, but looking back, I think that what, what it was was partly there's this absolutely beautiful elegance and simplicity at the core. Because, you know, we'll say you get slightly different answers, but, yeah, there's 12 key clean questions. So you go, oh, great. So there's 12 key clean language questions. 
well, that's easy to learn, right? From one, pa- one piece of paper, I could learn that I'm have to practice them a little bit. A few days, I'd know the questions. We're done. How come? Yeah, there's like eight modules of training over over a year, and then you've got embodied stuff and persona stuff that we do. What's going on? And the metaphor I eventually came up with is it's like learning the piano. You know, in, in an octave, you've got 12 notes if you count the black and white keys. And so, well, it's fine, isn't it? You just press some notes, make a tune. It's great. But go and watch a concert pianist playing the same notes, that's years and years and years of practice. And it's about, you know, pressing exactly the right note, exactly the right time, you know, to to create something, to take people on a journey, to rate, bring emotion to it. So Clean has this something that looks incredibly simple at the core, but then it all becomes about uh, learning, you know, what, what you're noticing, what therefore you're helping your client to notice um, what's, most important for what it is they want to achieve or um, what it is they want to learn. Uh, you have to notice that so you can help them to notice that. And so it all becomes this like dance of attention. Um, so it looks, looks incredibly simple on the surface, but it's you know, years to, uh, it's years to master, but equally you can put some questions together and, you know, just start and you make a difference, you know, even in a, a just starting with a few questions. And so it's got these wonderful like paradoxes and um yeah and things inside it that I, I love. But I, th- I think the other thing was um yeah some of the core of my personal journey and it'll get into why we did personas um ends up with I had to go to some places that were very, very young and very, very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think when I arrived in clean it's so respectful. It's just, it, it, it's so about being incredibly interested in the client and their, you know, what's happening for them about bringing as little as possible from the practitioner. They can, they can hold these very vulnerable, very young things uh, very safely. And so, you know, the, the experience you have uh, as a client on the end of it is I think you know in the in the right hands because it depends on the practitioner as well. But you can feel incredibly safe, and it, it's about your exploration. No one's going to do anything to you. Nothing's going to come in from outside that is going to jar you. I mean, it might because we're not all perfect. But yeah, on the whole, it's your exploration of yourself, and, and when you're in young, vulnerable places, um, it, it's an amazing approach. And I think David was working with you know, really difficult stuff as well, like PTSD and uh, childhood sexual abuse. So, yeah, there are things where people had really, you know, very, very challenging, um, intense or vulnerable things going on. And so that that's kind of also in the history of clean. So I think when I found it in, intrinsically in myself, I knew this was a place where not only I could learn it to help other people, but it was the right thing for me as well. Um, and you know, then you're seeing the history of why we developed what we developed. Uh, it, it's um, yeah, it, it comes from that own, my own personal interest as well. Which is, I, I assume, how it often is when, yeah, when I when I, I, I listen so. when I listen to to both of you. I I'm, 
it takes me back also to, and for me, it's not that long ago that I stumbled across the, these explicit clean questions, but I think it's also very deeply um, related to what drew me, which is that I've, for a long time, I've always had a struggle with the, the dilemma between, I want help from people, but at the same time, I find it incredibly difficult when my, when my sense is that other people are putting anything into my internal world where I've, I've had so many struggles also with coaches and therapists around me being what, what then can often be termed in resistance. Exactly. Where, where, yeah. where I would be like, no, 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 that's not what I said. I said that. And where, where I, I would be in this struggle of, I can, I find it incredibly difficult to, um, to relax and trust when my sense is that there are even subtle ways that my experience is changed and that can sometimes be, uh, and you've, and I say, oh, and this feels like safety. And somebody says, oh, and you feel safe. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I said. Um, but it can, it can obviously then also take different forms, but these small things for me were always so jarring and I seem to have such an such a finely attuned radar to, so that I personally find it really difficult to then just let them go because I want to know that the other person really gets me. And um, so for me, also for years now, my own personal journey and my own teaching journey has been about how can I keep spaces and exercises and sessions as clean as possible? And for me, it was basically when I ran across David Grove's clean language questions, these 12 questions, um, I was just like, oh, this gives me more vocabulary for what I had already been trying to do. Like, oh, that, that's nice. But, it, but that, that respect and that impeccable, I'm with you where you are, and I'm not trying to twist and turn it, that for me, I think that was at the core of what, where, where it just immediately made sense to, to where I was at and how, what my values are. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And, and of course, the, um, your example with uh, um, feels like safety and them saying back, you feel safe. You know, that one really is quite a, quite a small difference mm -hmm in comparison to the sort of thing that coaches and therapists all over the place are doing from one day to the next, which can be much bigger yeah. um, twistings and turnings and reframings and so on. Um, so um, for, for the average person to get from that kind of communicating through to being clean um, is a massive job and and the the clean language questions are going to constrain them enormously yeah. but but to me it's like it gives scaffolding to hold them in a clean space while they get clean into their bones so that they start to um, have an inner sense of what's very clean what's cleanish and what's just plain absolutely not clean, mm -hmm. and and at that point, I, I think I think that's where people 
ideally are, are best um, able to operate in any kind of coaching or facilitation type situation because they have the choice. There's, there's no doubt there are times when a well-told story can be useful to a client, but it's a story that's coming from the, the, the therapist or coach. Um, and, you know, in the other times where you don't even want to change safety into safe in the way that you say back something to the client. So being able to use the full range of ways that people can communicate um, according to what your intention is in that moment, what you're aiming to achieve, seems um, a good thing to me. Kind of like the overarching orientation of, it's not about then only having this uh, clean toolkit, but actually there are places where we need something else. It's just knowing what am I doing right now. Exactly, yeah. and, and having the choice. So, you know, um, to, to um, rampantly curious about why on earth they're doing this thing. It seems crazy. And then, but being able to realize that's my stuff. That this is, this is not what's most relevant to them and what they're working on. So I'm, I'm not going to do that. But why? Because, you know, that's not in their best interests. So um, being able to know what's yours, what's theirs, um, keep track of what the outcome is, uh, the client's outcome, um, that's, um, that's part of where um, I, one can do a lot more than just knowing the 12 questions um, in service of the people that one's working with. And I think it's worth saying a little bit about that that in the bones because again you think it's the questions and like you just said a clean toolkit um is I, I i've ended up I, over as we've done this more and more with training i'm more and more saying that things are just training wheels including the questions it's not about can you ask the questions it's like wendy says you learn the questions and initially you're going i want to ask something but i can't how do i do it with the questions but that is a process you're going through where you go well if i can't ask it through the questions is it really, is it coming from me or not? So the, the constraint it puts on you makes you have to question what you're asking, why you're asking it, what, you know, if you were going to, maybe it's a perfectly reasonable question, but you were going to put a metaphor or an assumption in there that you didn't realise. So in a way, once you've done wrangled through that for a year or two, <laughs> then actually the clean question starts to become a bit irrelevant because it's so natural to you to know what you're adding and what you're not adding, that then then to what Wendy's saying, you can be more cleanish, or you can ask a question that's not on the classic clean language question list, but actually is clean. Because in that context. Of, in that context, because you, you've kind of now in yourself, you know what's yours, what's theirs, what where you're changing things really clearly. Um, and I think then what's really beautiful about clean is that it integrates with practically anything else you might be doing right? and I think one of the things we find particularly as we get to the advanced modules is what we're generally looking for is like what are the universals what are the fundamentals behind um, things that you actually see in lots of coaching approaches for example so like you know we'll probably talk about parts there's, there's plenty of things that have got parts in them NLP's got some parts work you do I know you do IFS we've done some mm -hmm. things so you can kind of go well there's there's something going on there 
as some something that seems if not universal at least very very common in that people can create an internal representation of themselves as if it were multiple i'll say people but it's not always people but you know multiple minds or something like that in relation to each other mm-hmm. um and and we do things with space as well so you'll see, see things there's clean thing called clean space so you'll see that people move people around in the room and there's things like constellations that you use it um but in clean we kind of go well, what's what's really going on behind that what's the essence of space and using it and because i think we keep trying to get to what's the simplest purest form of anything we can lay our hands on and what what universal you end up learning a bunch of things where of course there's a yeah there's a complete process you could be a complete clean facilitator that's all you do but equally you can take it back you know constellations person could come in and clean space and they'll probably go oh oh that that's why some of this works and oh i could i'm making assumptions here but i could take those out and their constellations would be way better yeah um you know an ifs person can come and do some clean and you'll probably go oh you know i'm making some assumptions here or there's uh, and so people come and do all from all kinds of modalities my favorite one we've got equine assisted learning people quite often come who work with horses uh and they're they're not going to be pure clean facilitators because they've got stables and horses and things in there um but they do exactly this because they're using space you know where the horses are and things and and they need uh and they're you know interested in what's the kind of embodied states and things that are happening so again you take it's not just the clean questions but you take this whole what's universal how does space work how do you know this, these internal representations particularly if it's parts type things work and then then you can kind of apply it into whatever it is you you do already but like wendy says somehow you've become clean in your bones you're really on it with what you're introducing what you're not what's the clients what's best in service for them and i think that's that's one of the things i love about this it feels like we're kind of at the the foundations of of um just how people work Um, so kind of attaching to that because it seems like we're right now taking a natural uh, step towards where can clean be used. I, I've heard kind of two ways that clean language and the clean questions, but also the clean being, the clean principles really integrate. And for me, this would come down to, there are these 12 questions of which some are more often asked than others. And when you learn them, for at least for me, I find many places in my own work, in my sessions, in my teaching, where I can just use those questions and they are a natural fit. So one example being somebody tells me, oh, I, f- I feel a tingling. And I can just ask, what kind of tingling is that? Where is that tingling? Is there anything else about that tingling? And actually, those questions are really natural to ask. Yep. And also in normal conversations, what kind of? <laughs> Anything else about that are questions that just that are easy. So this is kind of integrating the explicit questions. But then also it what I've heard is kind of approaching certain, and this could be methods, it could be perspectives, it could be um, approaches towards 
towards things with this clean mindset and the question of how how can we approach parts work but how can we approach it with as few assumptions as possible and help people discovering this within themselves and when we approach it through those principles and through that clean in the bones to use that metaphor uh, we will look at it slightly different than if we just take on the whole thing and say oh this is how you do it we would go oh but how can we do it with less and less and less assumptions of our own yeah yeah and actually might be worse um so i think because we we think a lot about how we help people learn this as effectively as possible um i would say there's a it might be worth just saying that i think there's a few parts to when you learn clean so one is that it's the questions that's what you start with that's what everyone knows uh, a lot of it is what you can notice so we spend a lot of time once you've got the questions it's like what are you the, it, the development becomes um what it's almost like what question am i asking then the next thing goes well i've only got 12 so that's not very interesting anymore so what am i asking the question about <laughs> is the next most interesting thing and actually by once you get more advanced it's actually more where is attention going where where am i inviting attention where does the client's attention actually go that's almost you know in, in a nutshell of development so what we're we're doing in terms of training or helping people to understand where they are as people who learn claim one of the things is what can you notice so one of the first things we do a lot with metaphors so can you notice metaphors because people are metaphors are just everywhere uh, but we, you don't notice them can you notice um uh we do another thing that's around yeah are, are things more abstract or more specific because if something's quite abstract it probably means people don't know so much about it so it might be interesting to put a question there you can do things like, like, like things like parts you know when we start doing persona modeling it, it's not you don't make the assumption you start to notice that's interesting that's a something that seems to have some emotion that's separate to other things or it knows something that other things don't know. So you're kind of, because you can make these really fine noticings, you go, okay, this could be a good place to start moving into persona modeling. Um, scaling is another one. So to do with, can you notice where things are <clears throat> out of proportion? And it's not that you're saying any of this to your client, but inside you're going, that's really interesting because that's really that seems really huge, and that seems other things seems really small, and they don't seem to be noticing that. And then, so then you might think about, well, we'll, we'll invite a question into it, and then they might go, oh my god, that's really big, ah, and you know, raw insight. And then, equally, it might be you've got completely wrong end of the stick as, <laughs> as a practitioner, and that's all fine too. So part of it's noticing. The other thing is part of it is um, strategy. So you can put a few, like you can put a few questions in, but let's say um, what you were doing with the tingling, you might say, okay, I've got an intention here. And then because of what the clients come in for, um, maybe they've come in and they, yeah, they're generally quite down and they'd like to just feel a bit happier in their lives. And a moment happens in the session where you get, they suddenly get a glimpse, something a bit more upbeat. And you, so you kind of go, okay, in this moment for the next few minutes, the more I can keep attention on the fact they've got a moment of this, the better, because then they'll get to know it more. So let's say the tingling is a nice, a nice thing. They go, oh, that's, 
actually this tingling it's really nice ah so there's a tingling what kind of tingling so your strategy is to go for the next period of time i'm going to keep attention there and if i keep attention there probably particularly if it's embodied it's likely to amplify and they're definitely likely to know more about it so you go okay what kind of tingling where's the tingling and actually the questions aren't too important it's the fact that attention stays there and after a while they go, that's really odd i'm actually feeling you know actually quite good that's so unusual for me you go yeah because that was my strategy for the last couple of minutes to keep your attention there and we we'll see if that works um, you say then, that bit of it to yourself not to yeah you say that bit of it to yourself <laughs> internally you, you actually did change, really, you go i did yeah, really change, well you go wow actually you know, something worked because <laughs> that's unusual and clean to do something and then the client actually does what you think they're going to do um and then you might think um okay so that's a really useful resource um maybe it would be helpful to get a metaphor for it. So then you're thinking, okay, I know how to string, you know, five or six questions together that would turn really pleasant tingling sensation into um, a metaphor. The metaphor would be, um, this isn't going to, I have to do something else. So for me, if I'm calm, my metaphor is, uh, it's like, it's, there's like a lake and it's perfectly smooth around the outside of the, the lake are all the trees. And the reason why the trees are there, because when the wind blows, the trees block the wind. So the lake, mm. the lake stays smooth. So it's like, um, so from that, in a few seconds, you can get a sense of what calm's like for me and actually how I stay calm. Mm. So by stringing a set of questions together, the client might come up with a metaphor for this, this state. So it's now not just something they've got in the room, it's something they've got more of a conscious access to through the symbols which then might help them to bring that state back in future or um you know for them to certainly to know more about it so what you're doing is so this isn't a doing to people but it is a i've got an intention in mind that i think is in service of what the clients asked for so one is to help them get that state and then the next one is to like anchor it into something really useful so what we're learning in terms of clean is, first of all, can you notice that? Can you notice the states they're in and that it's embodied or it's metaphorical or what is it? Then the next thing is, can you ask the questions? But now can you string whatever, five, six, ten questions together und under an intention that is you know, in line with what the clients ask for? And of course, you, you, know, you start doing it and they do something else. It's fine. You, you, know, you stop and do something else instead. Um, but that's kind of how we're building up um, people's skills. And along the way, there's this, uh, there's this philosophy, like the not knowing, like the, the person who knows least in the room is you as the, as the practitioner, um, you know, being really curious, being fascinated about this unique individual and how they work, trying to build a model of it for yourself so you can ask the best questions, uh, realizing that anything you try is probably going to, something else is going to happen instead. You know, and you just go with it. Lots of and being very comfortable with that, with that kind of emergence. So it, that's that's where like a lot of the development as a clean practitioner is. Um, but as you can see, it's really they're like very fundamental skills that you can then take somewhere else because you can string a set. Of, you could drop into clean for five minutes in another type of modality, or you could drop in odd questions. Or you can just take a general philosophy of removing all the assumptions from something and not even use any clean questions. So, that, uh, and that's what you're you're building up by spending years. 
because the year's doing it. But as we say, you know, a um, couple of days and then in the questions is also uh, really helpful too. Seems like you wanted to say something. I'll, I'll just pop in because what I what I really loved about this kind of step-by-step, -step, starting with the skills, what can you pay attention to? Um, also then kind of what's a strategy that you can use based on what you've noticed. And these are, I mean, what you say with fundamental skill is I would potentially even go that like they're essential to any sort of this change work, therapy, coaching, whatever it might be called in the end. But they're also the skills that are by far the hardest to teach. Because how, how on earth do you teach somebody pay attention to that? To what? To that, huh? Be because it's the thing, it's something we cannot do cognitively based purely on a cognitive understanding because it's on a deeper level than that so actually then having a process of the skills are so simple that at some point in time this is not what you're thinking about anymore yeah. but rather than yeah. this you can pay attention to this and in the beginning you don't even know what to pay attention to and it's like find their resources what does that even mean and how do you do that and but then once you get it it's like ah i can do that again and then once you find can find somebody's resource you can be like oh now i can use these but how do i do that and you have to build up these new things but you need to build them up from something within your own experience you can't build them up from a concept yeah and it, that's absolutely true i think a lot of say we, we think a lot about how to get these skills for people like because it, it's like you say hey focus on resources and it's like i don't know what that means <laughs> but it's a bit like i think the metaphor is like not that i go to the gym but as, as i understand people go to the gym do things <laughs> like uh, isolate a muscle so it's like you do a particular thing that isolates a particular muscle and then you you practice on that for a while or i do do yoga so certain positions you kind of oh right i'm really starting to notice that part of my body or that particular tension so somehow you've you cut everything out so we i mean we do a, quite a lot of that so there'll be a, this cognitive like what is metaphor and then we do lots of exercises about like spotting them or notice them in a newspaper um but you're right after a while that kind of kind of slightly i don't know what it means you know kind of it's this is a bit hard settles and then you're just doing it it's the riding a bike thing you know you at some point you forget what you're supposed to be doing and you just ride and at that point you've kind of got metaphor so then that's great you could probably deepen it so now we do like somatic noticing words that's to do with the body so again you know you just cut it out and we're only going to notice things to do with the body so you, until you've got the hang of what words are to do with the body now we're focused on scaling you know what a big small less of more of type of words and we yeah we, we kind of cut them out everyone kind of goes in so after a while Again, you're not thinking about it, but somehow from your innate skills you've built up will be a, oh, they've just mentioned a scale. Oh, they've just mentioned a problem. Oh, that's a resource. Oh, that's a, well, that looks like that's a persona. Oh, that's just kind of bubbling away. Uh, but it's because you, you, know, you put in the practice and that's kind of what we, we try and make as accessible as possible for people. Um, 
and like I say, it fits in. You don't have to be a clean practitioner. You go and put that in anything else. It's going to be really, really handy. Yeah. And something that um, gets a lot of attention and needs a lot of attention is um, uh, helping people to become much more skilled at noticing when a client is focusing on a desired outcome versus when they are focusing on a problem or on something that's a bit of a messy mixture of the problem and the outcome. Um, and um, so being able to make those distinctions and then usually to direct their attention to the outcome because human beings are just on the whole magnetically attracted to problems, um, which makes sense. You know, if they're saber-toothed tigers around, it's more important to be looking out for the tiger and running away from it uh, so that you're still alive the next day than to be thinking about, you know, where can I find some of those lovely sweet berries that um, I found last week? Because while you focus on that, the tiger will be eating you and you won't, you know, <laughs> won't get any nice berries tomorrow and you won't be alive. So one can see how people will have developed a, a tendency to focus on problems. That also mostly means they know more about their problems than about outcomes. Um, and simply, you know, turning their head back repeatedly by your questions to what their desired outcome is and exploring that can, um, can really help them to work out how to achieve it. Um, and, um, you know, that's, that's not just a fundamental or essential skill for um, people who are, would identify themselves as change workers. That's a really fundamental skill for anyone. Um, I remember working with a, a team of senior managers in a business and asking them what their teams were doing well that was adding to the performance of the team and what they, they could improve in, you know, what were the areas that weren't so good. And when I asked for what the teams were doing well, every manager told me things that the team were not doing well. And when I asked about what the team was not doing well, every manager mentioned things that the team were doing well. So they, they weren't making any kind of distinction. Um, and um, so, yeah, the, the sort of things that we focus on, I think, of, are serious life skills, not even just limited to change work. Um, and in a way, that's, that's led to some of the, the um, innovations with clean language. It was originally for change workers, um, but it's being used um, in all sorts of interviewing contexts now where there's no intention to, you know, for any change, um, but where there is a need to get to people's, the truth or someone's truth. Um, and um, so there's about to be a book published on clean language for interviewing. It's being used in research and so on now as well. Um, so yeah, so lots of different ways that um, clean is, um, um, being used more, more extensively. Very exciting to be around at this sort of stage of its development. Yeah, it, I, that was, that's also one of my senses and I'm, I'm not nearly as 
as deeply in the in the community of practitioners as you are but my sense is that it's at a point where it's very generative right now and innovating and developing these new frontiers and seeing oh we can use it here and here and here and uh yeah especially for people who are slightly open when it comes to the big five openness that's the best time to be there because <laughs> you can think about all sorts of things. <laughs> that's yeah, that you've you've completely nailed it. I think that's absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's a very because, like I say, I think we're always trying to get these fundamentals. It means that they tend to be extremely useful. So if you're yeah. if you like innovating, it, it's much much easier to take things like that in into something else. Like I say, the the equine assisted like we had someone on our course who's just fantastic at this every time she came to a training lesson she'd come back the next time and say what she'd done with her clients and the horses so we're like my goodness this is amazing how she'd use clean specifically yeah, so how she'd use clean her. but it, i think it's be, because they you know we're at these kind of we're trying to get to fundamental things and and simple things you can either use have a complete system or take pieces of I think it makes it much easier for people who are, you know, to do that kind of cross-domain work. And then, of course, you get loads of innovation. I think, I mean, David Grover is massively innovative. He's always having new ideas. So I think there's something actually in the core of Clean as a kind of as a community where I think there is kind of this innovation and playfulness and trying things out and trying to work out how things work that's going on all the time so it's uh, certainly that's one of the things that attracted me as well because I'm, yeah, I'm like I mean, that <laughs> from from really a, a kind of more classic psychology perspective my sense with clean is there are some people where it just immediately hits home yeah. and it's like these kind of questions like oh god I've been in the desert and finally somebody asks me these questions and I can just explore and I would say those are just more open creative people so it it makes perfect sense to me that those would be drawn to clean and that then when they are drawn to clean they will be creative and open with clean so it makes just perfect sense that that would be the 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 environment there's one training that we ran where every single person in the room had spent part of their lives living in another country and i think that kind of uh, will be a, a um, quite a common thing amongst the sort of people who who, who are drawn to clean. Is there, there is an openness and an awareness that they themselves personally don't hold the blueprint of all that is correct and right um, about how to behave and how to think, who appreciate that they are different, different people have different realities and, uh, and that needs respecting. Yeah. yeah. So with this, and we, we have about half an hour left today, maximum, but the, the maybe the one step in this conversation I would be drawn to is so taking these fundamental skills and these kind of, and fun, fundamental skills is maybe the best way to just call them of awareness of what to pay attention to and how to then openly ask questions about that in a strategic yet open way. And I love that. Uh, kind of perceived uh, problem in that because I think that's that's also one of the key skills that makes my work even possible is I have an intention and a very clear intention and I have a sense of where where I think somebody could go but at the same time 
the way I ask questions about it is as openly as possible because I don't know. Mm. And it's that, that duality of both of those at the same time. So taking those fundamental skills, where have you most tried applying them in, in kind of your own explorations around clean and somatic embodied ways of using it, the persona modeling, how, how has that happened and what has driven you there? Probably for me to answer, isn't it? More. You, yeah, um, you kick off. The, uh, a lot of it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy encouraged me. So that's one of the things that's actually very, I'll just start on the things that was also very lovely about this. Um, it is, um, it's not just about learning for us, it's about supporting practitioners in what they really want to do. So there's a cl there's client work, which is about, you know, for me, it's about, I can quite often see almost what someone can be. And it's like, can they get to this more authentic version of themselves? I like express some things that maybe they can't express at the moment. There's, there's that kind of thing. But I think we do, both of us are like that with um, practitioners. Um, so I had the benefit of deciding to train with Wendy, who then was massively encouraging about, um, Paul, yeah, why, why don't you come and assist on the training? And, oh, you've got that idea. Why don't you run with it? Uh, and so she's basically just encouraged me to run around off the leash doing all kinds of wacky stuff, um, being massively supportive on the journey. Um, and so uh, and that means we've, we've kind of ended up creating some extra things. Um, I, I think I was, so initially, the, the persona modeling, it's like the clean version of parts work. And there's a reason we didn't use the word parts, but I can, we may or may not come back to that. And it came from um, someone Someone turned to me at some point and said, uh, oh, Paul, how do you do parts work in clean? And I said, oh, can you do it? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, of course you can. Um, I've seen Wendy do it. I'll go and find out where it's written down. And I went to go and look for where it's written down. And the answer was, it wasn't written down anywhere. There's, there's a tiny bit. There's some stuff David Grove used to work with it in a child. So if you really look back in, in the depths of time, things that aren't particularly on trainings, but you go and look in the archives, you'll find what he was doing within the child work. And I think if you look in Penny and James' books, there's a, there's a couple of tiny bits that are, are about yeah, that, that kind of thing, but not, not very much. And I realized what happened is when I was first trained, Wendy had done a demo of some clean language and what happened to emerge with that person who she was demoing with was like they had a voice over one shoulder and uh, I think there was another, maybe a voice somewhere else. I can't remember what the second thing was and she just worked with it because that's what you can do in clean. You don't need any specific magic parts thing. You just do clean language questions. Oh, okay, voice there. What kind of voice? And whereabouts? Is it? Oh, another voice. How interesting. <laughs> well, that's in your head. Let's say out loud. Um, <laughs> so you just draw attention and find out about the voices and where they are and and to some extent, just your fundamental clean skills would get you through that. Um, but I, I'd sort of thought to myself, but I think there's a bit more going on. Like if you notice that is the structure of someone's, what we call a landscape, like their symbols, um, there's a bit more you probably need to be aware of. Like, so for example, um, David Grove would talk about being an equal opportunities employer of information, by which he means 
any anything is useful. You know, the the, bod, the body, thoughts, mind, the room, um, bad things, good things, everything. Like everything is interesting, and you potentially can make use of it. So you know, we'll, you'd want to be really careful, perhaps, about biasing your questions towards one of those voices and not the other. You know, what's your internal reaction as a practitioner if one of it's like the nasty, snarling, snarling devil voice? You know, that's that's trying always attacking me and making me feel miserable versus the lovely angel. You know, do you take sides in this? There's got to be some stuff that it's kind of inkling already, but it'd be really good to bring it out for these circumstances. So I thought, well, I've seen Wendy do it. I'll I'll write down what she did. That'll be easy. This is a theme of ours. We think so it's going to be easy, and we then spend years developing the thing. So I wrote down a little sort of a process that was basically modelling out what I thought Wendy had done, and we talked about it, um, did a conference session on it. But what we started doing was getting some other people together to explore the topic. Um, and as we did, we realised there was more and more to it. So the original process started as, oh, you know, if you've got like two somethings, like two voices or two somethings, they don't have to have voices. That's one of my one of my things. Um, whatever it is, that that's nice. And you could do like a little negotiation. Oh, what would you like? What would you like? And do that. Uh, and there's some things in NLP that are about having two parts. Um, so imagine my surprise when I started, you know, doing a, a thing with a volunteer and they had nine. Okay, nine well, parts. Nine parts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that that this kind of two-part negotiation thing that we've written down, that's going to work. Not going to cut it. <laughs> no. <laughs> so what are we going to do? So we, had, so we had lots of this kind of exploration. Uh, and basically out of that came... Um, what we call persona modeling. So persona modeling, it just sits on top of clean, um, but it gives you a whole whole bunch of how to think, how to, well, how to model, what we call model, like how to sensibly put attention on um, symbols when those symbols are what we call personas, and personas are, are things that seem to have their own desires or have their own emotions mm-hmm. independently of some other things. In, in your symbolic landscape. So it's not like you impose the parts model. You don't say, hey, let, what if we pretended this was parts? You more listen and go, oh, hang on. <laughs> so there's two, two forces at play and they seem to be as if they were entities in their own right. So now let's start applying some of the persona model principles. So the client doesn't know anything. This is completely natural for them. You're just asking some questions inside yourself. You know, as a practitioner, you're you're sort of swapping into these strategies to help mm. the client notice that actually there are these two things and they do think differently, um, you know. And actually, perhaps the yeah, angry, raging devil voice um, is actually a useful protective aspect of you in some way. But again, you wouldn't say any of that. But because you're just going to ask, oh, okay, what would that like to have happen? Because half the time, you know, those things that appear problematic are actually trying to do something really useful for you in some way so so anyway lots of principles like that and we ended up with a um a process as well because we started realizing like getting into the what would you like really early didn't help spending lots of time just going oh okay a a voice what kind of voice just as much as possible really developing it you know an, an angel 
really developing it, which means like asking lots of questions, you know, where it is, what its form is, if it has clothes or something, what the clothes like. like what age it might be. Yeah. That was another of David Groves questions. Yeah. So you, oh. you, because in a sense, just the more you know, the more emergence change tends to happen of its own accord. Uh, and also what we're looking for is safety. So like particularly if you've got, you know, um, one of these personas is doing something very unpleasant to one of the other personas in the landscape. Can you get the, you know, can you encourage the landscape into a slightly more safe setup so that then you can do this exploration of just, okay, what, what, what's that persona like? What's that persona like? As I say, this, this is the sort of strategic thinking. The questions are, are all these really basic questions. Um, and then you can get into, like I say, more like a negotiation, but you're trying to find out what's important you know, for different um, personas, what, what are they trying to achieve for the overall system? Um, you know, what, what are the behaviours in play? And you know, in, in the back of your mind, there's a kind of, well, maybe if a different behaviour could happen, you know, everyone would get along a lot better in this landscape. So um, it's lots of considerations like that. So partly it's... a like I say, is the skills of noticing. So you can notice personas, notice relationships. Part it's the strategies like, okay, this isn't safe. How can we you know, ask some questions that kind of encourage a safer environment? How can we explore? How can we um, discover what different personas would actually like to happen? How can we help them to come to mutually satisfactory agreements with each other? So they're all like strategic pieces. And then there's the principal pieces like I've been talking to, um, like, you know, we, we generally assume all, all personas are trying to do something good for the entire system. They just might be going about it in a really um, <laughs> unproductive way. Um, every persona's got the chance to, um, you know, become a resource within the system. So you've got some principles behind it that are kind of guiding you and actually stopping you taking sides as a practitioner as well. Um, really crucial. Yeah, which is so crucial. And yeah, you're right in this work. Um, and and the other thing we discovered is <laughs> it's one of the other ones, like the nine parts, is I think this is Wendy's one. Um, something like, you know, we're we're sweating away, asking lots of questions in this with someone who's got some personas that are really not getting on with each other at all. You know, it's like hard work. No one no one wants to agree with anything, la la la. And somehow or another, I don't know. Wendy, if you can remember now, but there is a sense I of, there's, there's another, do you want to say? Do you want to yeah. So this is why we were developing all this stuff. And of course, we were trying stuff out on ourselves and each, each other. And so I was being the client and answering questions about some situation which I had um, um, a couple of um, personas. Um, but I... Um, I think we were busy finding out about, you know, is nine personas what often happens for people or is this the smaller number what happens, that, that sort of thing. So I was, I was getting on and exploring my stuff, but I, I had this extra little task to kind of notice if any extra personas came to mind as I was doing it. I got all the way through the piece of work and it was only once I was out of it and we'd been doing a whole lot of debriefing, talking about it, that I finally realized that in the middle of all this, well, I want this and I want that. And no, that's not acceptable to me. And no, I won't have that. And all the arguing between the personas that, that uh, 
um, a voice had come along and done the, oh, for heaven's sake, this is getting so boring. For goodness <laughs> sake, can we not just, you know, and um, a, a different solution was coming forward. But I didn't appreciate while I was doing that piece of work, even though I was looking out for any new personas arriving on the scene, I didn't notice that kind of creative part that um, looks to break down and um, an, an impasse between other parts. So it's there is a real thing in this work of um, um, what do you do to maximize the chance that a client will notice any additional perceivers, um, personas that might be playing a part um, without saying to them now, you know, you'll probably find there are another three parts because you've only got six at the moment. We're aiming for nine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, to help them notice that because these these parts do contain resources and mm -hmm. you want them to be able to access those resources in useful ways. Yeah, and, and it was, I think Wendy described it as like <clears throat> almost there's this big resourceful persona just standing on the sideline watching. So some of the stuff we, we developed was, was some ways of just subtly throwing out the fishing net. <laughs> to see if there's some other personas around that actually, you know, almost just standing there doing the, oh, goodness me, why is all this happening? When in fact, they've got all the resources. Mm -hmm. And if you brought them into the into awareness of the client and into that system, you know, that, that they wouldn't, they, they, they'd be bringing actually a lot of the potential for, for solutions. And I think that, that was a really fascinating part of what we, we discovered yeah. in this. It's quite, it's quite fascinating to listen to you too about that because through my kind of IFS informed internal family system informed lens, like a lot of what you share is very, very, very similar to the, yeah. to the IFS process. And there are probably just a few places where there are different distinctions. Like for instance, hearing the big persona, my question in the IFS model would be, could that be the self? And is there it sounds like that's not a core distinction you make, which for my own work is, is a distinction I really, really love. That distinction of parts and there is the self, which is a fundamentally different kind of level of reality. Yeah. And that we can actually help people to connect to the self to then reconnect to their, to their parts. And that that interaction is actually the most fruitful interaction we can have is yes, the parts can talk to each other, but when the self is there, all of that will have a different quality to it. So, so that would be the thing that I find very fascinating to hear, but yeah, I, otherwise I think it sounds super similar just to the principles you've, you've yeah. gotten to. Yeah, it's interesting because we we read someone pointing out IFS to us quite late on in development. So I, I've, I've, all I've done is read the book. That's as far as I know. But yeah, we looked through it and said, "Oh, by me, there are quite a lot of similarities." <laughs> um, and well, well, no, it's good because there's differences. And, yeah. and what we've done is very, very clean. And there are some yeah. assumptions in IFS, so it's like, yeah, you know, it, again, and that can be fine. But it means as an IFS practitioner, you could learn personas and you probably find some really interesting extra stuff and you could Just clean take up, everything what, up you know, take, take some level. things that take assumptions out and that's all mm -hmm. you know to everyone's benefit um, also it, it, 
yeah, so I mean, we, we, yeah we, did, we didn't think we were, it's not like we exactly thought we were doing something new because it's always about what's getting to these fundamentals. That's where we're going. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting when you find something where I haven't, I haven't seen this ability to, to kind of draw in other um, parts or personas in the way we have. So I, it's kind of quite nice when you find something you think is novel. Yeah. <laughs> I can but totally also really, um, I don't know if reassuring is the right word, um, to find, for example, a whole lot of overlaps with um, internal family systems. Because if we're going for things that seem to be pretty universal for people as ways of um, chopping their, their understanding of the world up or, or similar, if we're going for um, fundamentals, then there jolly well should be a whole lot of similarities with other approaches that are out there in the world, um, yeah. one would think. Um, so, at yeah. At least hopefully. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it but it is it is so fascinating that also the way you describe the persona as this, it's it's this, and I find it sometimes really difficult when when also introducing these terms. It's like how to describe a persona or a part because it depending on how somebody perceives it, it can kind of feel like a voice. It can feel like a feeling. It can feel like so many different things, but it but it's this thing, and it's there. And the more I turn towards it, the more it kind of turns into this unique thing that has its own view of the world, its own feelings, its own intentions. And it really turns into this conundrum in one way. It's like, what is that? And is that really a thing? Is that just a, a, something I create right now? And it, I find that it's it, it touches on this very fascinating level of being human of how are we built what is that and i don't know if it in the end matters but it it makes me just so curious about this what is that <laughs> absolutely yeah I, I think it's things we've we've asked like even with metaphor because we know it kind of bridges between things that you know are unconscious or very you're usually very difficult to have words for into very tangible symbols that you can have plenty of words for and have a logic. And when they change, the underlying unconscious things change. And so this is similar with personas. Yeah, we yeah, we've got a loose hypothesis that well, your brain is wired to model social systems, otherwise you don't survive. And brain evolution typically causes things to get reused for other things. So probably, well then in terms of how do I understand myself? Yeah, when I've I probably internalized models of social systems in some way, you know, my father's voice, mother's voice, a version of me as a child, all those other people, all those kind of things. Um, we, we kind of think at least there's one version where you go, well, if you ask the questions, the human system kind of goes, oh, okay, I could I can use this kind of ability I have in my in my brain to make some sense of like to bridge so it, it's like in a sense it's making it up i think this does happen with metaphor it's a bit like your system finds the metaphor that makes the most sense um but it takes on a reality that then is incredibly useful and i think it's probably a bit of both with personas maybe some sometimes it just you know your system goes oh oh that's a way i can make sense of myself 
thank you for showing me that. Okay, fine. I will place it all into that way of doing things and then I can talk to you and I can understand myself better. Uh, but I think sometimes there's a reality because you, you have internalized voices of you know, important caregivers or uh, other people in, inside yourself somehow. So um, I don't know. I think the thing with clean is none of it matters. You know, yeah. all of this is, you know, like I say, with the persona, it's like a hypo. You start with a hypothesis. Oh, that might be a persona. It seems to know some things. You don't never you don't impose anything. So in some sense, it's if it's working and the client's getting, you know, good information and potential change from it, you keep going. And if it's not, yeah, you start asking questions about something else. Um, yeah, it's it's but, it is it is a fascinating place of. Uh, how much of a theory or a this is the this is the way the world is do, do we need to have something that works and that actually i find it's helpful to have some sort of map because without a map we're lost but then also we need the freedom of it works <laughs> and if it doesn't work i'll try something else yeah <laughs> we need both of those <laughs> another um, one of those sort of paradoxes yeah, so we should say as well. We're now getting short of times. So the the other thing we we went and did a bunch of things of, and this was my my own personal journey. It's got a long story to it. Was I have, um, a, I have a quick question because I'm, I imagine you're getting to the embodied stuff now. Yes, I was going to do my, five my, minutes on it. <laughs> yeah, we can do that, but then we should also maybe just say we could have a second call where we actually have more time to talk about these, because I would also love to really talk about the persona, talk about the embodied stuff also from how, what would the IFS perspective be and where do mm. I see the overlaps between the IFS and clean? Cause it's, it's coming together probably differently to how it is for you. So I, we, we can also do that, but I just wanted to put, throw that in there as oh, a yeah, yeah. option. I mean, we'd love to, we knew when we started, this was going to in no way be enough time. Yeah, but <laughs> we sort of said, "Hey, here's some stuff we've been up to. If anyone's interested, <laughs> yeah, come and talk yeah. to us." Because um, we, like I say, it's, it's also about that integration with other. You know, we're not in competition. It's more like we're hoping through clean. We've got some some fundamentals, useful things that people can take into their own ways of doing things. So they can either get a complete way of doing it if they don't know anything. If this is the first time, say they've done parts thing, they can take persona modeling. But if they've done IFS, you know, then hopefully we've got things to add and then I'm sure we're going to learn loads from anyone who brings it. So it's like, it feels like you want a community of people who do different ways of working and you're all learning from each other. I think that's how it feels. Yeah, because feels I think it's then about how do we bring the fundamentals? Because it seems like there's a huge overlap on the fundamentals, but how do we bring that into the world? And that's where it, there will be differences. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So shall we still do five minutes of embodied or do we I, just... I can, because then you know how many calls you want to set up. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's a slight problem here because I absolutely enjoy this. So if you ask me how many calls do I want to set up, the answer is yes, <laughs> because this is fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it... Um... But yeah, yes, well, I don't let, perceive let's... any problem with any of that. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> this this is basically what any call where Wendy and I are trying to get real work done uh, is, is exactly like this. And by the end of it, we haven't actually done any real work. So um, this is normal. 
Ah, so it's just nice to include you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll, I'll just say a little bit about the Embody because yeah. it might then spark some things for you for what, what you might like to ask. Yeah. Um, uh, again, this this is me off exploring. Um, I, I'm trying to think how to keep this really short. So I, I'd been, I'd, so I do some... Um, have some spiritual practices so I have like a yoga practice and I've been on a, a bit of a journey for um like what's purpose in life mm. and I'd actually had quite an intense um experience that had come from touch so at that point I went oh touch right there's something important going on here I need to find out more about it so I'm going to cut a very long story short that I might tell another time um but anyway so I ended up actually learning some learning body work and um and actually yeah historically if you went back 20 years i was completely in my head so and now i'm probably only like 99 in my head which is a massive improvement or something anyway i'm more definitely more embodied i've learned some <laughs> body work uh, and as i usually do i was going well what what's the role of yeah you know, can we use clean in this um and fortunately the, the style the, the thing i learned um, actually had some clean language already. Mm. So what, what I did was, so well, not everyone's going to want to learn body work, like hands-on, because it depends what you mean by it, but actual hands-on work. Um, but there's a load of things in what I'm learning that are linked to you know, embodiment, like attention in the body. Uh, you know, and I'd learned some things like uh, there's something called body focusing, mm. as, which, again, we can say more about. So that we're actually... And then I went and looked, because well, I kind of went, why hasn't Clean got this in it? And then I went back and looked, and it turned out Clean did have it in it. It's just, um, it's a bit like the parts work, like David Grove worked with parts. Lots of the advanced Clean people will work with parts just using Clean. They just don't think about it, and they just do it. And it's the same with embodiment. Lots of people in Clean are working with embodiment because they just put attention on the body, mm. and embodied stuff happens. Um, and you go back and look at what David Grove was doing, and he's absolutely doing that. I can see it now. I know what I'm looking for. It's back to this: what What do you notice? Now I now I've got the distinctions. I can notice when people are directing attention to the body. I could look at David Grove's transcripts and go, Ah, he was working with the body, and that's how he was doing it. So then I went, Well, that's good. So it was in clean, but I didn't know for five years, and I'm like teaching the thing. <laughs> so we. So how do we make? The, these distinctions you know known for people how what are the strategies back to this you know how do you notice what kind of strategies do you use when would you direct attention to the body when wouldn't you when's it useful um and there's a thing called um psychoactivity that's always been this kind of like golden thing in clean so psychoactivity is kind of when um things go really live so metaphorically so it might be someone saying um you know yeah, it's like I'm, like, I, actually, I had one where I had a tree, so it's fine. There was a, I can't remember why, but anyway, there's a tree. I mean, the tree was located in the room, and the person I was doing it with had actually done a lot of mindfulness. He's, he's like, looking at this tree. Yeah, the tree. Yeah, but I anyway. just want to add, just to make sure it makes sense to everyone, that the tree was entirely metaphorical. Yes, it was a symbol. That's a complete, it. Yeah. yeah. So it's a symbolic tree that comes, like my lake, doesn't really exist. But, you know, that's how I do calm. This tree represented something. And, and he's sitting next to me looking at the tree as if it was there. And it became so real. 
as if really like that tree was there you know i could have potentially walked up to it and touched it even though it wasn't really there so this kind of magic where things that seem like they're made up like metaphorical become real and actually your body's reacting and it's there's a sort of almost a shifted reality uh, is what we call psychoactivity and then the potential for change is huge because all of your system is really engaged as if it's real so the, you know, the emotions are there your body sensations are there your uh, attention is there and it's always been a bit if you get that our general advice has been if you get there don't lose it here's how to not lose it <laughs> but what we realized doing the embodied stuff is a lot of the secrets getting there is about engaging like these different systems at the same time so you get some metaphor going you get some body stuff going you're kind of getting attention in the right places and kind of weaving it together so so as a mm -hmm. A strategy and yeah it's not right to go to the body for everyone by the way but what what we're what we wanted to do is almost bring the experiences i've had turn it into distinctions people can make how they can notice but then how they can weave it with everyone everything else to where it's appropriate create psychoactive experiences which then mean the potential for change because like your whole system's involved it is is far far greater um so yeah so that's what we've been up to is like like making it really just making it accessible particularly for people who've perhaps also are completely in their head you know how do you go from i'm completely in the head if i'm not that we do this on the training but i've i had a client who i think you know even starting to go into their body was going to be a big deal because they had some trauma in their background so it's like okay what what do you how do you use attention in in ways that kind of keep people safe maybe bring some attention to the body but do it in very you know, tiny ways or, you know, from people who are really happy in their body, how do you help them have, you know, these wonderful ecstatic experiences that they'd like to have, you know, whole spectrum. So um, anyway, Whistle Stop Tour, we've tried to package all that up so we can actually teach people how to do it now because it was sort of in clean but hiding in, in plain sight. Yeah, as, as with many things, you need a few distinctions to be able to do things. Yeah. 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 Either that or you have to get lucky, but yeah. uh, getting yep. lucky could take quite a while. <laughs> yeah. And then how do you get lucky again? Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, so if we have another conversation, I love the connection between the psychoactivity and the body, because to me, the also the way I experience clean is a very embodied deeply embodied process it's like the space around me become comes alive and i relate yeah. to it through the different systems i have yeah. and it and so it makes perfect sense that relating to it purely or mostly visually will activate so much but the more we get the body involved there will be a different feedback loop and if we then have both of those going there's just more of the space active so i find that very very fascinating um shall we just find a way to end this now very elegantly <laughs> which yeah, i well, don't I, know how <laughs> no well I, I mean, the main idea was uh, today was to go yeah there's a lot of interesting stuff isn't there and to persuade <laughs> yeah. you that you'd like to invite us back and then and then we can come talk to you again which okay. would be brilliant okay so there is a lot of interesting stuff here and I would like to invite you back. <laughs> and if anybody is still listening, there is a lot of interesting stuff here. 
and and, and we'll be back. <laughs> and and we'll be talking about the interesting stuff in the next call. Yes. We'll just leave a completely open loop. To, uh... But it'll be oh, even more interesting, interesting next stuff. time yeah. as well. We we would, <laughs> we can only just get started. Yeah, you have to lay the groundwork before you get to the really interesting stuff. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> so I'll just stop here. That's around the next one. So.